That's right, Diane. He's a funny guy, that Bill. <laughs> he is a funny that, guy. Oh, he's a <clears throat> he's a real cut up, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you think? I do think. <laughs> How frequently? <laughs> it's eight forty four AM Saturday, July the fourth, twenty twenty. I'm Bill. I'm Diane. It's the Bill and Diane Show. Special Independence Day edition. <laughs> Go ahead with the fireworks, gentlemen. Whee! Did you we hear have, fireworks have, last night? We have silent fireworks here on the Bill and Diane Show. What? Did you hear fireworks last night? I did. I heard explosions. I I didn't I hear fireworks. It. I heard explosions. I heard the explosions before we went to bed, but if there were any after we went to bed, I was out like a light. Yes. I think I went out rather quickly, too. Quite gratefully. Yes. It um, was, I was, it was uh, so nice. I was entirely gratitudinal when it comes to <laughs> sleeping because I was able to sleep flat out for the first time in a couple of weeks think Maybe it's true did you even i don't think you even talked about that last week did i not yeah because when we were talking <coughs> you were talking about a senior th- experience that you had had and i thought you were going to talk about this but instead you were talking about the uh forgetting books enough that they seemed new uh, so i don't think you ever talked about that. benign paroxysmal positional vertigo BPPV. Yeah, I had that. That's quite a mouthful. It is, especially paroxysmal. Parox- paroxysmal. Is paroxysmal. I was saying paroxysmal for a while, but it's parox. Par- it might be paroxysmal, not paroxysmal. Paroxysmal. I'm not sure where to put the emphasis on the ox or the cis. Can you look that up for me real quick? I can. Okay. I got myself a cup of coffee here, and I'm going to take me a sip. Do you want me to? No. Uh, <laughs> so, I, you know, I was yeah, doing my yoga a week ago Monday, right? Yeah, a week ago last Monday. Uh, and I was in a child's pose, and I felt something in my head go, beep, and suddenly the room was spinning. And I thought, oh, I've had a small stroke or something. You know, I didn't know. I was like, never, nothing like that had ever happened to me before. And from that point on, I was dizzy and felt woozy. And I would have these spells where the room would literally start to spin. And I'd have to grab onto a wall or something. It was uh, very disorienting. And uh, so that was Monday. And see, I did my Tuesday night thing and kind of just kind of spun through it and kind of felt woozy. I kind of, if I planted my feet, I mean, it was worse in the morning. I think, and as the day went on and I would be upright more, it wasn't as bad. I still had a kind of a swimmy feeling. And if I like looked, if some, if there was a noise and I looked up, then it would trigger a spin. Any kind of sudden movement would trigger a spin. So anyway, went to the doctor and she's, she pretty much knew what it was because it came on all of a sudden. And the way I described it, she says, yeah, I think it's, there's these little crystals that form in your inner ear and they can get pressed up against the little cilia, the little tiny hairs that, that, uh, orient you as to where you are in space. Right. 
you know. And if one of them gets up there and, inter- and kind of interferes with those little tiny hairs, then suddenly you don't know where you are in space. And so uh, she initiated this thing called the Epley Maneuver, where she had me, I'm sitting on the exam table, up and sitting just kind of upright with my legs out in front of me. And then I would, and she would be behind me, and I would kind of throw my head backwards and lay flat suddenly with my head kind of hanging off the end of the table. She would catch my head and cradle it and kind of turn it to a 45-degree angle. And the first time she did that, I thought I was going to throw up. It was just so the spins were so intense and she would hold me in that position for 30 seconds then turn my head 45 degrees the other way trigger another set of spins uh, and hold there for 30 seconds and then I would turn to my onto my left side keeping my head at a 45 degree angle oriented with my shoulders so my head and my shoulders would turn together and it's another set of spins and then she I'd sit up quickly uh, on the off the side of the table and another set of spins and she did that to me three times and when I left by the time I left her office I was feeling a lot better and she gave me a handout on how I could do the Epley maneuver at home and so I was doing the Epley maneuver and and it was it seemed to be get kind of progressively getting better it's also said you should sleep for a few nights in a for, with your head at a 45 degree angle so I was sleeping here in this chair in my recliner or trying to sleep, it was like it was like the thing the thing that I had to do to fix this one problem was aggravating a couple of other problems, like my bursitis in my right hip. Did not like sleeping in the recliner. My I've got some uh, narrowing in the in the vertebra in my neck, uh, so that there's some nerve impingement in my neck because I'm old, and so that was being aggravated by sleeping in the recliner. But it was helping with the dizziness. So I did that for a few nights until I felt better for, I felt for 24 hours. They said if you keep doing it until you feel like you haven't had any major symptoms for 24 hours. And I had went to did that and so I thought, okay, I, I had, I'd been sleeping about four hours a night and really feeling a lack of sleep. So I decided after I was feeling better for a full day, I would try laying on my bed again and just have a normal night's sleep. And I did that, but it all came back. So... And worse, wasn't it? Because you said you were so dizzy when you got up that you could barely walk. It was hard to get to the bathroom. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, anyway, that it it finally last night is the first night that I've slept flat out since then because I spent a couple more nights in the recliner after that, and then I rigged up a situation in the bed where I could kind of sleep sitting up in bed, which was extremely uncomfortable. And when you came down and said, I've created a headstone for myself, and I was like, what? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was quite a... a uh... well, I had a foam roll and a half bolster and about three or four pillows all arranged in a way, because I felt like anything I set up is going to slip and slide during the night, and I'm going to end up, you know... But So I had to rig up something that wouldn't move. And, and it didn't, it did didn't. it? No, yeah. it? It was very stable, which is why I called it a headstone, because it was... Yeah. It was stable, and uh, so I slept that way for a couple of nights, and then yesterday I felt pretty much good all day, so I said, oh, I'm going to do I'm gonna do it again. I need to sleep. I need a decent night's sleep, and I need to quit aggravating my hip so much. And so last night was the first night that I've slept where when I got up to pee, I wasn't dizzy, and I wasn't dizzy when I got out of bed this morning. So, so the, let the partying begin, you know? Yes. More fireworks, please. 
It's another cautionary tale. Silent fireworks here on the show. <laughs> so all the si- fireworks are silent here. Hope you don't mind. They're very pretty, though. Another cautionary tale about aging. Oh, yeah. <sighs> yeah, it's, I, I love the way that things overlap to where in order to fix one thing, you have to aggravate a couple other things. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good thing. It's lovely. Pretty soon it's going to be a you know a constant cascade of, of overlapping issues, and it's going to be like, forget about it. <laughs> forget it. Pardon me, I'm having a drink of coffee. You guys are just going to lay down on the floor and not get up. You, boy. Why bother? It's good coffee. That's going to be that kind of thing. Because you know I'm attitudinally, that's, that's the way I'm oriented. Forget it. I'm just going <laughs> to lay here till I die, okay? I mean, that's happened well, how many times since you and I have been together? Eight or nine times. Easy. Bill just says, forget it. <laughs> it's kind of how Bill rolls. But it has been a hectic week here in Lake Amphetamine, as per usual. You wouldn't think so because, you know, we're kind of locked in place and stuff. But as Diane was saying just moments ago, in the pre-show discussion, which probably <laughs> should be part of the show, uh, that uh, people who live in their imaginations, it can be pretty busy being all enclosed well i said that it would just be reiterating what we said last week i guess that's what we talked about about, but the reason why i even said that is because we had a conversation with zoom call call with cat cat my darling cat and john cat eggleston and john daly residents of vashon island we crossed the waters we crossed the waters over to vashon virtually and it was Wonderful. But I was noting that they have the same feeling that we do, that they are not dissatisfied with this. Uh, Well, they've kind of got their, you know, they're kind of like us and that they've got their whole situation uh, because Kat does teaching and stuff like that, and she's been doing that online. It's something that was happening even before the plague times hit, uh, doing virtual uh, teaching in one way or another. And... uh, John's got his leather shop there right. all set up. Have you been to his? Have you been in there? Have you gone I have not been the in there. Next time we go, you have to go out and see his leather shop. It is just an amazement unto itself. I've seen it through the window, but I have not walked in. It's amazing. Well, and it smells really good in there. I bet it does. Yeah. John is. John doing, is also uh, having furloughs in his work, and so we were talking about how. We don't really care, you know. I, I, I'm going to be. In fact, I'm quite frankly looking forward to my furlough, which will be the first week in August, because with all the extra work that has been caused by, by human resources responses to COVID nineteen, hmm. especially in the school of medicine, hmm. our work has just been uh, insane, yeah. uh, and I have felt. In fact, my my supervisor at our last Zoom meeting of the team, because all of us were just, you could tell we were all downtrodden, you know. And she said, we have to talk about how we can keep each other mentally stable during this time. <laughs> and And I know that every time that we've had a busy season like this, it's always been this way. So the way that I keep my mental balance through it is thinking, it will be over. And when it is over, it will be so precipitous a drop of 
the work because it's like everything is crammed into this one month of July or kind of the last part of June, this part of July. And then there's a, a sudden drop and then it goes back up again in September, goes down again in October, and then it's kind of a lot more smooth sailing after that. But, mm-hmm. but so for me, it's sort of like my own knowledge of this time is just, you just got to grit your teeth and get to the end and, and try to make things happen. But it's kind of, it's hard to do when you don't know where the end is. You know? I mean, for yeah. you and your schedule of work, there is a, there is a shape to it. Uh, but in terms of the things that are making everybody a little more crazy than yeah. they would be otherwise, we don't really know where the end point of that is. So well, with that, I mean, added... with those aspects of our lives, I feel like we have to just adapt to a new uh, circumstance that will be around for a while, yeah. I think. And also, we have, you know, it's like you have to pay attention uh, to self care in a way that you maybe you hadn't so much or hadn't right. needed to so much. I think we've all fallen, we can fall into patterns with work and with coming and going from home and, you know, errands and things like that. There's a certain amount of stability, uh, at least in, in our, we are normal we're used to being satisfied with the amount of social interaction that we have to to where home can be kind of a refuge where uh, we can we can claim some privacy and kind of get out of the swirl um so having a situation where the the home becomes the swirl uh is is a different phenomenon for everybody and i think that's people are having to build new ways internally to respond and to maintain in a, in a world that feels a lot more isolated, uh, a lot more cocoon-like uh, than what we were used to before this. So that's what, the, you know, I mean, it's becoming, there's nothing about the online interaction that is, that gives the same kind of tactile comfort that, that physical presence has but we're having to learn to let that be enough and i think that it is it does kind of expand i've noticed with my tuesday night things because when i first did it it was very disorienting to have this sense of people being there but not being able to see them and not really being able to interact with them in the moment as much i found that really kind of disorienting the first few times i was doing this online thing uh, the tuesday night thing but I think I've kind of gotten used to it, you know. Now I there is a feeling of the presence, the there. presence of the audience. You know, I yeah. do have uh, more of a sense of that, and I don't know where exactly that comes from, and maybe it's a part of uh, my viscera that has been lit up that I didn't even know was there before. A kind of a new region of consciousness or something, because I have this sense of there are people there. But nothing else has changed, you know. Well, and I think that because there is a group of people that come every week, so you're already thinking, well, Scott and Rondo will be out there, and Bill Woolen will be out there. Most likely Val Sanford, Holly, and Kim will be there. Right. I, I think that you, uh, Ken and Julie Higgins will be there. My mom and my sister are usually there. Yeah. Alice is and usually there. Yeah, Alice is always there. So yeah, I know. you There's... know that there is going, there will be a group who are so totally for you at every given moment. 
right and then yeah. the the other people who are kind of coming and going but you i think you have it in your head that you are speaking to those people even if you don't know who else is out there right so that it feels like the cmp coffee company felt or yeah. the cooth buzzard or the places that i would have pl- would was playing in the real world it kind of feels like that there are certain people that you kind of knew were going to be there cindy snyder is another good example of that um, and then there for then there's a lot of other people who have come who were not able to come um and i think that's great i mean like val you know and uh, people linda rosales out in denver in, in colorado i mean in golden colorado and katrina from back in pennsylvania john yeah. bundy also from colorado yeah. and yeah. Yeah. So it's great. It's great. And, uh, and Bill and Sharon Kaufman have come. Right. And yeah. it's, it's, it, that part of it is uh, amazing. I can't believe it. It's extra. It's bonus. But it still feels a little odd. And, uh, you know, but then you wonder, is this the way it's always going to be from now on? Or, I mean, when, yeah. when, when people are talking about when we get back to where we can actually be together again, I, I'm like, okay. We just don't know when that's going to happen. So yeah. it, it's disorienting and it calls upon us to uh, kind of maintain our sense of balance. <laughs> Getting back to that theme. <laughs> well, it's true. It yeah. is a balancing Life has act. been kind of dizzy for a few months. It's a circular conversation, Diane, as many of well, these things are. And for me, with the work, the, the thing that makes work weird at, when you're teleworking is that there is... Because there's no obvious departure. Yeah, there's uh, no geographical separation between work and home. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think, unbeknownst to a lot of us, the the passage of the bus ride for me in the morning was, you know, it was like almost an hour that I would be kind of transitioning transitioning and then on our car ride home that would be my um my transition back to home and it would give me a little bit of a period of time to sort of almost be like yeah and then when i got home i always felt like oh yeah i'm here but with this transition it's so interesting it's not unpleasant because now I go on a walk for an hour in the morning instead of a bus ride. Yep. And that walk is the most amazing time of my day because it's so quiet when I go. There aren't many people out. And the birds are singing. There are little animals about squirrels and Bunny rabbits. Bunny rabbits. Um, and I, like the other day, I was, as I was walking past this tree, there was a crow just inside of the tree, sort of sitting on a branch, and he was hidden in the, in the leaves. And I thought, oh, I wish I had a camera to take a picture of that because it looks so comfortable and like a little cozy home for this crow, you know? Yeah, I play little games with the crows when I'm walking. I walk a couple hours earlier than you, but if, you, if, if there's a, a few crows down on the street... And they're like picking at rocks or whatever they're doing. They're nibbling on picking up stuff off the ground. If you don't look at the crows, if you don't turn your head towards them, you just kind of look at them out of your periphery and just note them, they won't fly away. You can actually get crows to just keep doing what they're doing 
if you don't look at them. So I think in the animal kingdom, eye contact is is threat. It's aggression. Right. Yeah. So because if I turn my head and look at them, they will all they'll all bolt and fly away. But I've been practicing this thing where I just I just kind of keep I note that they're there, kind of looking at them a little bit when I'm farther away. But as I the closer I get to them, the less I turn my head. Just keep going straight, and I've actually got it to where I can walk a lot closer to crows than I would otherwise just by not doing anything that they would perceive as threatening. I'll have to think about that when I'm on my walks. I don't remember too many times where the crows are on the ground. When when I'm walking, they're usually up in the air. Sitting on the wires. Sitting on the wires, in the trees or whatever. It's, It's weird for me to notice when I'm walking, no matter where I am in my walk, there is a crow on a wire near me. And I wonder sometimes... And I've heard different things. I wonder, are these the same crows I see every day? Yeah, I and, wonder you know, that too. And because... what I've heard is from people who study these kind of things is that they are. The well, crows because... are territorial that way. Crows have their area. I've also heard that a lot of the crows that are in this part of town commute from out in Bothell. There's a lake out there. I remember reading they, about that. They commute that they... in in the mornings and they commute back at night. And I remember when I was working at the bus yard and out down in Lake City, in the mornings when I would first get there, and as just as it was the sun was coming up, I would look up and there would be hundreds of crows flying over, kind of, kind of at an angle from, like if I was looking into my the window from the from the, the lower right hand side of the window to the upper left hand side of the window, and then in the afternoon because I was often there until dark, because <laughs> my days were kind of long. Yeah, they as were. it was twilight, I would look and they would be flying back from the upper left-hand corner of the window back towards the lower right-hand corner of the window. And I always thought, yeah, where are all these crows going, you know? But I heard that they commute in from some kind of marshy region out there in the Bothell area. So crows are an ongoing uh, interest to me. What I've always noted when I'm walking is when there's a crow on the wire that cause and then there the next it's like you walk a little bit farther and there's another crow that's it's sort of like they have this telegraphing mm-hmm. you know there's somebody coming and then this other one there's somebody coming so and once in a while i'll be walking and there will be a huge murder of crows in one tree and they'll all be squawking together and it's just this cacophony but it's all up in one tree and there'll be other crows flying in and stuff like that. And it's just like, what the heck is going on there? I've really, I'm a, becoming more and more convinced that crows are actually the top of the food chain. They've got stuff figured out that human beings don't have figured out, including the fact that they're the top of the food chain and we're not that we just think we are. So they like, I think a lot of times they like to make fun of us. That could very well be. Yeah. I certainly don't believe that human beings are at the top of it. We sure don't of... behave like we're at the top of the food chain. <laughs> no. I don't think the top of the food chain goes about destroying its own habitat <laughs> exactly. in such a determined and deliberate way as we do. That does not that does not bespeak uh, intelligence uh, in my mind. Anyway. But the walks have have been so meditative because usually I am thinking in a much different way and the reason why I say they're meditative is because when I have actually meditated, it's the same kind of thoughts before I go into the part of the meditation that is totally at one with whatever. You know, it's that that mix of thoughts that 
just drift in and out of my head and uh, and they're much more universal thoughts than I ever had when I would be going into work. So I'm almost in this state of hypnosis by the time I come back and then I, I have to jump into the day. And a lot of times you'll see me because what I have, uh, my pattern has been is to answer emails for the first half hour. But in actuality, it's sort of me settling into uh, how I have to change my pace, you know, because the emails are a little different, uh, an approach than my usual work. So uh, I, I spend a little time just saying, okay, it's almost like my diving board. Okay, now I go. And then I go over to where my little workstation is in the dining room and, and start. But I think it's harder to end the work than it used to be because there is no bus to catch or something. So in, a lot of times Bill will be the bell on my day to say, okay, it's time to stop, you know, because a lot of times it's it's hard. There's always more work to do. Yeah, it's been it's been an interesting thing to watch. But at the same time, I'm not unhappy with it and quite frankly, a lot of people who are teleworking now are saying I don't really want to go back. I am mm-hmm. one of that number. Mm-hmm. I will not go back because uh my supervisor doesn't want me back until there's a vaccine and I don't expect that soon. And I think that I will be retiring before people go back to the office the way that they used to and it may never be the same in the way that people gather well i think that the the organizations for who employ people like you are probably realizing that in terms of overall productivity there really is not a difference or maybe even an improvement uh, when people are working at home so that for the people who whose jobs are uh, able to be done from anywhere done remotely and stuff like that you know, I think my friend Tim has had the same experience. You know, his salespeople and stuff like that have all been working from home, and their business has actually got improved somewhat yeah. during this time. The and, only problem, I think, is for people who have children. Right. Because I know that one of my colleagues who has a... His child was just born. I don't even know if he's one yet. Yeah. No, he is one. He is one. He works in the middle of the night sometimes. He's, I think it's a lot harder for the people with the kids. Yeah. But for me, it's been an ideal situation, and my health has improved, and um, certainly uh, it has led me to have a lot more conversations with you about when I will retire because by being at home all the time, you're already in that first step yeah. of having a less mobile life where you're not going to a place and coming back to a place. And one of the things I was talking to you about yesterday is that uh, the flow that we have in the home is just ideal for me. I feel like that had always been a concern to me. How will we be when we're every single day in the same household because I've heard from people who have retired that it can be quite crazy making for... You've heard that the man drives the woman crazy? 
uh, I've just heard that when the people are in the same household all the time, because that was not the previous experience, that people get a little wigged out about it. They get on each other's nerves. Yeah. Yeah. But that has not been the truth for no, us. You have not gotten and on my nerves yet, Diane, but I assume I've gotten on yours. I just assume <laughs> well, that. You can assume away, but it's not true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I get on my nerves, so I, I can't imagine that it would, not, yeah, it would not be true. But I have really thought a lot more about retirement, and that's another conversation that we were having with Kat and John, too, because... I think a lot of us who are in this position are now feeling like, well, yeah, so this is the first step. And the, with the furloughs, there's less money that's going to be coming in. So let's see how we do. And yeah, this is working out okay. Let's, uh, let's take that next leap. There you go. So I definitely, and what I've been talking to Bill about recently is that I don't think I've got the steam to go for several more summers like this. I I think that this is, I'll be 64 my next birthday. I think I could put in one more summer like this and then I, I'm going to be done yeah. when I'm 65. And I've got a whole transition plan that I'm going to propose. But I think that it's the right timing to do such a thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway. So, Water Boys. Whoa, whoa! Wow, that was a that was quite a segue there, Diane. Did you get dizzy? Yeah. Was it too much of a snap? Got whiplash. <laughs> We've actually had the Water Boys as our guests many times because we love them so much. Many, many. But in the influential albums that uh, we were posting, the formative albums, this was one of mine. Because I remember the first time I heard this album, it just totally blew my socks off in every single way. I loved everything about it. I'd already been a great fan of Celtic music by that time and had just the combination of the energy. And the first time I heard Fisherman's Blues, just the the mandolins at the beginning was so different than anything I'd ever heard. And it just caused my heart to thrill. It was not even just like a, wow, I really like this, but oh my gosh, where has the sound been all my life? You know? And, uh, I don't know. And the, everything about the water boys just appealed to my, my sensibilities, I guess. Fusion of Celtic music and rock and roll. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of along the lines of Jethro Tull, uh, to some degree. The yeah. same kind of roots, but but uh, Mike Scott's got a whole different way of doing it than old Ian Anderson has. And the other thing that really thrilled me when I first heard the Water Boys was that they had put to song one of my favorite Yeats poems of all time, "The yeah. Stolen Child." And The Stolen Child, I will never forget reading that poem. I, I, can, I can be where I was, because I was in the library. 
I was uh, in my modern poetry class, and we had been reading Whitman and T.S. Eliot. Um, Wallace Stevens. Wallace Stevens, yep. William Carlos Williams. William maybe? Carlos Williams, yeah. that, all those guys. And I loved Walt Whitman, but when we got to Yeats, I just... I just immersed in his language. I loved it. So we were not assigned The Stolen Child as one of the, the poems that we would read, but I was so enraptured by Yeats' poetry that I went to the library and just checked out a book to read uh, Yeats. And I came across The Stolen Child, and I remember catching my breath reading some of the lines that it just it was enchanting it's so perfect that it was about about fairies because the poem itself is enchanting just the ways that he described things the pools amongst the rushes that scarce could bathe a star you know i just oh i loved it so when i first heard the stolen child on the water boys i was i was like oh my god there's that poem that's that's the one i love someone else loved it as much as i did you know well because i think several people probably uh, well they had but you know how when you discover something and nobody else talks about it that you start thinking i'm the only one who knows i'm the only person who's ever read this so that was my introduction to the water boys and it came a lot later in my life. I think I was in my 40s when I first heard The Water Boys. And ever since then, I've heard them in uh, many times. Fisherman's Blues is used in soundtracks. Yeah. Maybe not the whole song, but just the, the intro or whatever. And it always causes a thrill in my heart. Always. I don't think I've ever heard that song without feeling this uplift of, joy uh, from just hearing that song. Well, let's hear it. Crashing in a headlong into the heartland 
far off by furthest grasses. We footed all the night, weaving olden dances, mingling hands and mingling glances till the moon has taken flight. To and fro we leap, chasing frothy bubbles while the world is full of troubles and is anxious in its sleep. From the hills above Glencar And pools among the rushes That scarce could bear the star We seek for slumbering trout And whispering in their ears We give them in quiet dreams Leaning softly out From ferns that drop their tears Over the young He'll hear no more the lowing Of the calves on a warm hillside Or the kettle on the hob Sing peace into his breast Or see the brown mice spot Around and around the opening chest Very comes the human child, the human child to the water. He comes, he comes the human child, the human child to the water and the wild. With the fairy With hand the fairy in hand, hand, in hand. From a world more full of weeping.
desde 